0: Chapter 40 this morning, Genesis chapter 40. We're going to read verses 1 to 4, and then we'll read right through the chapter by the end of our message this morning. Genesis chapter 40 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 40 and verse 1. It says, And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers, and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. And they continued a season in ward. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. I'm sure we've all heard the statement that good things come to those who wait. Well, that may be what they say, but the truth is that most of us don't really enjoy waiting. How many of us are glad to see a traffic jam? Or how many of us, when we're out shopping, like to turn down the aisle and notice that the queue to the, uh, to the cashier is already halfway up the aisle. Immediately, our spirit groans within us. I was uh, in Asda a week or two ago, and I was doing the shop and scan thing, you know, where you have your mobile phone, or you get a little scanner, and you scan your groceries as you go. Now, understand, I do most of the shopping in our house, and there's a reason for that, And the reason is that my wife takes too long, okay, Uh, and plus she's too expensive, okay. Uh, So we go shopping for groceries and, you know, Hazel comes back with, you know, a new dress and a pair of shoes and something for the grandchildren and I'm like, what happened to the groceries? So, So we came to this arrangement where I would do the grocery shopping and it takes me about 35 minutes to 40 minutes and I'm out of there. So I went shopping a few weeks ago and I had my trolley food. I'd done the shopping scan thing, scanned every item, put it into the trolley, thinking to myself, I'll get to the checkout, I'll pay, I'll be off, I'll be away. I get to the checkout and I go to pay and it says, a check has been for it. So now I have to wait for a member of staff to come, which takes forever and a day. Uh, somebody comes over finally and says, I've got to check your, uh, your trolley. I say, fine. So she starts working her way through the trolley, item by item. And then she picked up an item, actually it was stock cubes and she dropped them as she was trying to scan them. And she says, oh that didn't scan. She says, that's probably what the problem is. Now, she didn't try to rescan it. She didn't even seem to know, be honest, how to use the scanner. The woman was, you know, technologically illiterate, it seemed, from the very beginning. And, and so, I was standing there already quite frustrated. And then she said, you'll have to take them through the checkout. Well, I can tell you, I know I'm a pastor. And I know I'm a Christian. But this was a real test of my sanctification. And I was fit to be tied. And I said to her, You have gotta be kidding me. And she says, No, I'm sorry, you'll have to take it I says, I've got to take it all through that checker. And she says, I says, You realize this is a complete waste of my time. You're wasting my time. I was furious. When I got out of that shop, I deleted the Asda Shop and Scan app from my phone. I thought there is no point in using this stupid thing if you're going to have to go through the checkout anyway. You're You're only really delaying yourself before you get to the checkout experience and frustrating yourself. So the truth is that most of us are not very good at waiting. We detest delay. That's why we use microwave ovens. That's why we have mobile phones. That's why we uh, eat canned soup. Uh, That's why we prefer email over so-called snail mail. We refer to live updates on our sat knobs and on our Google Maps in order to bypass traffic jams so that we are not held up in bottlenecks and we can expedite our journeys. We hate being held up and yet when you read your Bible The scriptures are full of people who were held up. When you think about it, Abraham and Sarah were told that they were going to have a baby boy. They had to wait a quarter of a century until that baby boy came along. You think about Moses, who was called to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, who had to spend 40 years on the backside of the desert tending to Jethro's flock before God allowed him to go and fulfill his life's purpose. You think about David, who was anointed as a teenager, as a boy, to be king over Israel. And yet when the time came, he found himself being chased by a vengeful Saul for years on end until he could eventually take the throne of Israel. You think about Paul whose heart's desire was to go to the city of Rome and to bring the gospel to the Romans and yet he had to spend two years in a jail in Caesarea by the sea before he could go and and, uh, fulfill that purpose In his life, and here too, we find Joseph is being delayed. He is holed up and he is held up in the Pharaoh's prison, and this through no fault of his own. He was in prison because God wanted him to be there. That's why Joseph is in this jail, he is there waiting on God. And while he is there, he is learning some life lessons. He is growing in grace. He is increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. Now let's begin in verses 1 through 4 again. Just glance down that passage and see the detainees in the prison. Joseph was in prison for a crime, as we said. He did not do. Remember, he was thrown into prison because of an accusation, a false accusation from Potiphar's wife that he had tried to rape her. And Potiphar had put, her into, put him into prison, not because he believed the accusation, but for political expediency. And who is the governor of this prison into which Joseph is placed? Well, look in verse 3. It tells you who it was. He put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard. Who's the captain of the guard? Well, chapter 39 and verse 1 tells you who the captain of the guard was. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. In other words, this prison is part of an extension, it's a wing of Potiphar's house. And as before, Potiphar, just when Joseph was in his own home, he placed a lot of trust in him. Now that he's in prison in another wing of the house, he places a lot of trust. In him, and he puts him in charge of the other prisoners. He makes him a prison warden of sorts, and he had a responsibility that was far and above that which is given to prisoners, even in the most open of prisons. Joseph certainly was given a lot of responsibility. The keeper of the prison, verse 23, said, Look not to anything. Chapter 39, verse 23 says, The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. And here again, we have a little evidence that Potiphar did not believe his wife's story, that he had more faith in Joseph that he had in his own wife. And he saw in Joseph the presence and the blessing of God. And he saw in his wife a scheming and deceitful woman. Nevertheless, prison is prison. You know, we've all said this, you know, prison is a holiday camp. You ever hear somebody say that? Of course you have. You've probably said it yourself. Ah, prison is a holiday camp. You know, the truth is, prison is not a holiday camp. Prison is tough. It doesn't matter what prison you're in. I've been in lots of prisons, not as a prisoner, I hasten to add, but I've visited a lot of prisons. Here in Northern Ireland, I've visited MacGalbury Prison. i visited visited McGilligan Prison in England. i visited several prisons in the course of ministry. Uh, and, and, you know, every prison I get into and see the prisoners and speak with the prisoners, I don't get the feeling that they're enjoying themselves no matter how that prison is set up. Even in an open prison. I went to an open prison where men would leave the prison for the day and go to work and come back at 5 o'clock in the evening and then go back to their cells. And you, know, you think, well, that's a holiday camp. It's not a holiday camp because prison is not your home. And prison has restrictions. And prison curtails your liberty. And uh, Joseph was in prison. And prison is never pleasant and he 's in prison for something he didn 't do he 's being unjustly held and he 's been held in the prison of the man whose wife accused him now before too long, Joseph is enjoined in this dungeon and remember that 's what it is he 's held in a particular place where politically sensitive prisoners are held in a pit in the ground he 's back in the pits again. And he's put into this pit and he's presumably brought out to be given his charge for the day and then put back in to take care of those who were in that pit in the ground. And so he's, he's in this dungeon and two more sensitive prisoners are sent his direction. Pharaoh's chief butler and Pharaoh's chief baker. Now we're not told what these men had done to merit their imprisonment but given their positions it was likely they were suspected of trying to poison the king. You know, when you think about it, the chief butler, well, his job was to be the king's cup bearer. And so he had this rather interesting job in which he would uh, taste the food uh, of the king and make sure there was no contaminated food that was being offered to the Pharaoh or any wine that was offered to him. He would first have a drink of the wine, a taste of the wine. And, uh, you know, if, if there was something wrong with it, guess who got it? He got it. You know, if, he, if, was, if, this, if the food was poisoned, if the wine was poisoned, well, it was, Goodbye cupbearer, long live the king. That's the way that worked. That was his job. So every day he was risking his life for the king of Egypt. So it was a very important position. And indeed such was the virtue of this job that the cupbearer became by nature a close confidant of the king. And if people wanted to get the ear of the king, very often they would get the ear of the cupbearer who would have access to the king and could bring your petition before the king. The position of chief baker was also a very important position for obvious reasons. He prepared the food that the butler brought to the pharaoh. And so if the cupbearer died or the cupbearer was ill, Well the finger of suspicion would be pointed at the baker and to the kitchen and he would be the primary suspect in any attempted assassination of the king by poisoning. Now clearly these two men had done something to upset the pharaoh. Maybe he had suffered a little bit of food poisoning and they were put in prison just to see how that would turn out or maybe the food was simply not to his taste or indeed maybe there was a very definite and genuine attempt on his life but either way the butler and the baker were placed in the king's prison on remand awaiting news of their future. Now we need to understand something this morning friends and I want you to get this. Nobody comes into your life or my life by accident. Nobody. Nobody crosses your path by accident. You know, it's amazing that when we have a need, providence always seems to provide the right people in our lives at that point who can meet that need. Joseph needs friends in high places. He needs someone to petition the king on his behalf to bring this injustice right to the very throne of Egypt. Now, Potiphar wasn't going to do that. Although he admired Joseph, although he respected Joseph, although he showed in measure a kindness to Joseph, nevertheless, he wouldn't be prepared to put his own political career on the line By going to Joseph and suggesting that he had wrongfully imprisoned this man. That wouldn't look good on him, would it? So he's not going to represent Joseph. And Joseph is a foreigner. Worse than that, he's a shepherd. The pharaohs of Egypt had very little respect for shepherds. Shepherds were way down the chain of people when it came to your hierarchical standing in society. And so... Joseph would not have been entertained by the Pharaoh, in part because he was a shepherd, in part because he was a Hebrew, and in part because he's a prisoner. No Pharaoh's going to listen to this man. So he needs someone to give him a helping hand to get the ear of Pharaoh, when suddenly the prison door opens, as it were, and the chief butler and the chief baker are introduced into Joseph's cell, and he becomes acquainted with them. You see, these men were directed by God's own hand into Joseph's life. And we too can see the hand of God in directing certain individuals into our lives. You know, there's people that come into your life and you know they're just there because God has them for that specific moment in time. There may be men or women or even children who are brought your way providentially because you need to interact with those people or they need to interact with you in some way that's going to advance your walk with the Lord. You know, when I was a young draftsman, I worked for a company. And uh, the company secretary was a man who attended Martyrs Memorial Free Presbyterian Church. He, he, was, the, he was a very important person in our office. Uh, and he, uh, he was quite an austere figure, I think I shared before about him. Uh, the men kind of feared him, they didn't really care for him, he wasn't particularly personable when he was walking around from desk to desk. He he felt everybody was basically worthless uh, and wasn't worth what they were paying us. Uh, But nevertheless, one day he went by my desk. He saw a book on my desk. Uh, It it was The Chemistry of the Blood by Dr. DeHaan from the uh, Radio Bible class. I was reading it at lunchtime. And uh, he spotted this book on my desk and he stopped and he said, Who owns this book? And I said, I, I own that book, and I thought there was going to be a row of some sort. And uh, he says, "That's a great book." And so we started talking to each other about this book. And then he, you know, he asked me what church I went to, and I told him what church I went to, and he told me what church he went to, and we connected as as believers. And from that day on, you know, he and I had a very good friendship and a, a very good uh, connection. Uh, But, you know, that was that, you know, I eventually I left work, I went into ministry, I went and served, you know, for 19 years, never saw the again until I was getting ready to go to England. And when I was getting ready to go to England, just before I left, uh, I was uh, giving my testimony, the very last place I gave my testimony actually was at Martyr's Memorial Free Presbyterian Church in Belfast, Dr. Paisley's church. And I was invited to give my testimony there one Wednesday evening. And I went along and I gave my testimony. didn't think anything of it really. Dr. Paisley wasn't actually there that evening. And I uh, gave my testimony. And at the end of the service, who should approach approached me but this gentleman who used to be the company secretary in the company that I worked for. And I forgot all about him. And uh, he came up, he reintroduced himself, and we got reacquainted. And uh, he had heard how I was planning to go to England. And lo and behold, now he is the company secretary of a ferry company. And he says, have you booked your ticket to England? And I says, no, not yet. He says, leave it with me. He says, it's, it's all sorted. And so he sorted it out that, My car was put on the ferry. You know, Hazel and I were put on the ferry. All our belongings were taken care of. We were given a nice cabin on the ferry. We had a meal provided for us on the ferry. It didn't cost us a single penny. You see, God, some 19 years before this moment in time, had brought someone into my life in his providence for this very moment, for this very purpose. That when the time came that he wanted to move me uh, to England that the passage would be there, the, the passage was in place. Sometimes people are where they are to be a blessing to you. Sometimes they are where they are to be an encouragement to you. Sometimes they are where they are to be a special, to bring a special insight uh, for you as you seek to serve God. And perhaps you're there for that reason for somebody else. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be sensitive to the places and the posts that we hold and the people that the Lord permits to run across our path. He never makes a mistake. But sometimes we make mistakes when we become selfish and we become withdrawn and we fail to reach out to the people in our lives and we don't want to get to know the people around us. Perhaps we're missing the opportunity. That God has given us to serve him in a specific capacity, joseph didn 't make that mistake when these two men came into his into his social circle, as it were, he served these men he served them under Potiphar no less, captain of the guard. You can imagine perhaps how he would have naturally felt, how you would naturally feel if you were unjustly prison, in prison and the governor of the prisoner was the man who got you into the prison, who's, who brought you to the court and prosecuted you and had you put into prison and then he brings in uh, two of his colleagues and says, I want you to take care of these fellows." You think to yourself, I don't think so. I will take care of them all right but not Joseph. Joseph served them under Potiphar. Do you know what that takes? That takes grace. It takes grace. And what a spirit you see in Joseph. What Christ-likeness do you see in Joseph that he's willing, even in these adverse circumstances, to be a blessing, to be what God wants him to be, to reach out to others, and to serve them despite his own personal need. Now notice the dreams of these two prisoners. Verse 5 and, and down to verse 8. It says, And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night. Each man, according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. Now notice that it says they dreamed a dream. Both of them the same, same night they both <coughs> excuse me, had this dream. Each one was struggling to interpret the dreams. Dreams were very important in ancient Egypt. They were considered to be uh, harbingers of the gods, messengers from the gods. And so these men were concerned that they had a dream. But there was no diviner. There was no uh, wise man there that they could call upon. And so uh, unbeknownst to them, uh, and we see the hand of God in this situation, Sharing the sale with them is whom? Joseph. What is Joseph? Joseph is the dream expert. Do you remember whenever he was sent out to see his brothers out in Shechem as he was heading out that direction and they saw him coming toward them, they said, behold, this dreamer comes, this dream expert. Here comes the the dream expert. It was disparaging. They spoke of him critically. But he is the dream expert in a sense. And, and coincidentally, if we believe in coincidence, which we don't, they both have a dream on the same night. Now, we're not going to really get into the content of their dream too much, other than to say that both men's dreams were rooted in the realm of their experience. And if you notice in verse 6, it says, Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. Now, if anybody had a reason to be sad in that prison? Joseph was the man who had reason to be sad. I mean, whatever reason those men were there, at least there was a reason why they were there. Uh, There was no reason for Joseph to be there other than he had attempted to do the right thing in his treatment of Potiphar's wife. But he had enough sensitivity to notice when other people were not themselves. He had enough sensitivity to notice these men whom he had barely met, were down in spirit this particular day, and he was curious as to why that was. Can I tell you something, especially if you're, if you're prone to feeling sorry for yourself, that the principle of living above your circumstances is to see with the eye of man the hand of God, and then to rest secure in God's working so as to give yourself for the service of other men. You know, Joseph had every reason to be sad. But he saw with the eye of man that the hand of God was upon him. And without sounding insensitive, you know, if you're one of those people who tends to feel sorry for yourself, let me ask you a question. What in the world is it that you've really got to complain about? You know, we're living in in a society where we are in the top 5% of earners in the entire earth. Now that's true whether you have a blue collar, menial job, or, well, you, you're a, a company director. You know, e- even the poorest person in our society is in the top 5% of the world's earners. You know, my uh, son is, an, is a director of a charity in England, a national charity, and they sent him out uh, to Uganda a few weeks ago, and he was sharing with us some of the photographs and the things that he saw And uh, it was just pretty pitiful, really, you know, to see these villages in Uganda and the people were drinking out of sewer water. I mean, literally drinking out of sewer water. There was dead animals in their water and they're drinking out of it. And you and I, we want a glass of water, what do we do? We just go and switch a tap on. And there's clean water and we can drink as much as we please. We think nothing of it. We throw our water away, we play with our water, we wash cars with our water, we do things with our water that would be unthinkable, In a place like Uganda, he went out one day and, to his horror, he sees down the river a body of a baby floating past. And lo and behold, he discovers that when, uh, when babies are born in Uganda and parents can't afford to bring them up or there's some deformity with the child, they simply cast the baby into the water and the body rots in the water. And he says several times he saw bodies of infants passing by in the water. You know, what have you got to complain about? What's your problem? And I'm speaking to myself here. What's my problem? Shopping's gone. What does that count? In comparison to those those conditions in Uganda, it's a first world problem. But it's not really a problem worth complaining about. And it's not a problem worth getting down about. And it's not a problem that's worth ruining your life about. What have you really got to complain about? Things haven't gone your way? Well, boo hoo. You've had a hard day? How hard has it been? Have you had to drink out of the sewer? Has it been that hard? Oh, things are difficult for me. Are they so difficult that you throw your baby into a river and watch it drown and leave its body to rot and be picked up by the birds? What have you got to complain about? And Joseph realized, you know, even in this prison, there was no reason for him to complain. There was no reason for him to be downhearted. The Lord was in control. And when he heard his two fellows were sad, he saw they were sad, and he heard that they had dreamed dreams, he decided he would come to their aid, that he would have an interest in them. He didn't say this, hey, dreams, don't talk to me about dreams. Can you imagine this conversation? We've had a dream, and there's nobody to interpret it. You can imagine him saying, let me tell you about dreams. I had a dream once. You know what happened to my dream? I ended up in here. I wouldn't even be in this prison if it wasn't for a dream. Don't talk to me about dreams. But that's not what Joseph said. Instead, he glorifies the Lord. He says, do not interpretations belong to God? And he offers to assist by hearing their dream and by the help of God interpreting their dream. Well, let's look at the delight of the butler in verse 9. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shut forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine hand and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray, unto unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. Now, the news for the butler couldn't have been better. Here it was, three days, you're out of here. Three days, you're going to be released. Three days, you'll be restored to your old job. You'll still have an income. Everything will carry on as before you'll have your former position. And we can only imagine how this news lifted his heart. You know, he must have been pretty glad to hear it and very happy that Joseph gave that interpretation. Not only was the butler's heart lifted, however... Joseph's heart was lifted because he thought to himself, well, if the butler's going to go back into his work, he's going to have the ear of Pharaoh and maybe he can, he can put a word in for me. Maybe he can say to Pharaoh, listen, I, I met this fellow in prison and he's in trouble and he shouldn't really be in prison and maybe your, your highness, you could do something for him. Now let me say this, that though Joseph was certainly full of faith and though he wholly expected his dream to be fulfilled, the desire of his heart was for freedom. He says, but think on me when it shall be well with thee. He says, you know, put in a word for me, make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. You know, in a very real sense, here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to push open the prison door. You know, maybe you're in that position in your life where you're trying to push open a door. Where you would like your life to go a particular direction at this juncture and you're trying to push open the door. Can I say to you that Joseph and indeed you are dealing with the one who openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. If God closes the door, Pharaoh himself cannot open it. And if God opens the door, Pharaoh himself cannot shut it. Joseph is not in prison because of Potiphar. He's not in prison because of Pharaoh. He's not in prison because of Potiphar's wife. He's in prison because the Lord wants him to be in prison. Remember what we said last week? He's already learned how to be a steward over plenty. Now he has to learn how to be a steward over poverty. He's already being prepared for seven years of managing a fine harvest to going to seven years of managing no harvest. God has preparations for Joseph to experience. Then notice the dismay of the baker in verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good... He said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream. And behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there was all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh. And the birds, did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. Do you ever wish you hadn't asked? <laughs> huh? That's where this guy was. <laughs> he hears the interpretation of the butler's dream. He says, he's getting out in three days. Brilliant. Maybe I'll get out in three days. I'll tell him my dream and see how it goes. And, uh, you know, the news for the, the baker was not so good. You know, evidently, there had been some new leads. There had been some new evidence that had come to the fore. The finger of suspicion was firmly pointed at the baker. And uh, the baker was about to be executed. Not only was he to die, but he was going to die an ignominious death. He was going to die in shame at the creating death. First, he would be decapitated. Then his body would be skewered. And then he'd be left, his body would be left out to be eaten by the vultures. <laughs> He's definitely sorry, he asked. You know, when you appreciate that the ancient Egyptians believed that the maintenance of the body was vital to the afterlife, and that's why they mummified their dead, to preserve the body for the afterlife. When you understand that that was their belief system, to have your body skewered and left out to be eaten by the vultures was essentially to be, to be, uh, to be put to condemnation, to be effectively put to hell. So for Joseph to share this news with the baker, you know, it took an immense amount of courage and a great deal of integrity. You see, he could have said, you know what, three days from now, you'll you'll be back at your job. It'll all be good for you. He could have hid the truth from him. And he could have justified it. He could have said, well, you know, there's no point in having the fellow fretting for three days. There's no point in making him alarmed. You know, why upset him? He's only got three days to live. Sure, you know, he'll find out at the last minute He's going to die and and that'll be that. But that's not what Joseph did. You know, sometimes, can I say something very practical to you? Sometimes when people in our family are terminally ill and they are given a specific period of time in which they're likely to die, we have this temptation not to share that news, perhaps with them, if they don't already know that, or with children, Uh, perhaps to protect the children from that news. And I can understand that desire to protect children from that news. Uh, But here's the thing. We need to be honest with each other. And, you know, whilst it sounds like a good idea to protect children, it doesn't prepare children for the worst. And actually, it allows children an opportunity to say goodbye to a parent or to a loved one just the same as it does for an adult. And so we want to be careful about holding back the truth from people and this is true not only in our personal lives when dealing with the terminally ill we also want to be careful about holding back the truth uh, from people we're witnessing to you know sometimes we don't want to tell people that if they die in their sin they're going to go to hell but that's the truth and to, uh, to be a person of courage, and to be a person of integrity, sometimes we have to, as sensitively as we can, tell them, listen, you're in a lost, lost condition. If you die as you are, you're in trouble with God. You're not going to make it into heaven. You're going to die in your sin and go to hell. You know, the, the honest witness will tell you that. He will share that with you. And Joseph was that kind of person. It would have been very easy for him to pass over the baker's predicament. It would have been very easy for him just to bypass the hard news. You know, he could have told the man anything. And normally Joseph, as we see, is a a very upbeat person. You know, he maintained a spirit of victory and cheerfulness despite his circumstances. But he didn't allow his positive outlook in life to cloud realism. Joseph told the man the truth. Then looking at verse 20, we see the disappointment of Joseph. <clears throat> it says, It came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. The dreams and their interpretation were realized, just as Joseph had predicted. But the chapter ends in the thoughtlessness of the butler to remember Joseph. That's a very sad and sorrowful line, verse 23. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. If you ever get the chance, go visit Warwick Castle in the Midlands of England, just outside of uh, Stratford-upon-Avon. Warwick Castle is probably the greatest castle there is in the United Kingdom. It's a, it's a wonderful place to visit. It's just a, a picture book castle. It has everything you would expect a castle to have. And uh, one of the things that it has, as you might imagine, is a dungeon. And uh, the dungeon is exactly what you think it would be. You go down deep into the the bowels of the castle, it's dank, it's damp, there's stocks up in the wall, probably about the height of the writing behind me, Uh, there's stocks up in the wall, and you sort of picture men hanging by their hands from those stocks, but actually they hung them from their feet from those stocks, so they hung upside down in the dungeon and the blood obviously rushed into their head. A very unpleasant experience as you, as you can imagine. Also they have there all kinds of instruments of torture. You can go and look at that if that's, your, if that's your bag. But one of the things that you'll find that isn't often pointed out is that just off of the dungeon there's a little room and off to that side in that little room, on the floor, there's a trap door. And if you look down that trap door, there is what looks to be a well, but it's actually a, another cell. It's a pit into which some prisoners would have been dropped. Certain prisoners wouldn't have made it to the stocks. Certain prisoners were dropped into this pit, and the trap door was closed on top of them. It was called an oubliette. That's the French word for forgotten. Joseph had been thrown into into a pit and he was forgotten. When you read, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph but forgot him, essentially he's in the oubliette. He's in the worst possible place he could be. And the forgetfulness of this butler costs him a further two years of his life. If you look in chapter 41 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass at the end of two full years. It's interesting that Moses refers to it as two full years. He's underscoring the drudgery of it all. He's underscoring the misery of it all. You know, when when, uh, you're not having a good time, time moves slowly, doesn't it? You know, we say that, you know, that time moves quickly when you're enjoying yourself. Well, when you're not enjoying yourself, time moves awfully slowly. And so Moses, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, tells us that those two years moved very slowly for Joseph. It was two full years. Every day was as long as the last And maybe longer than the day before. And so the forgetfulness of the butler really pained Joseph. Each day he must have hoped for some news of encouragement. You know, each day he must have hoped that somebody would come into that prison with news of his release. But nothing. Each new arrival he hoped might bring some news of his release. But nothing. You know, the book of Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12 says this, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. In other words, if you lose hope, you become sick in your soul. You know, your life becomes filled with disappointment. Disappointment is the frustration of expectation. Joseph expected to be freed from that prison. He expected to be on his way home. He imagined himself going back toward Canaan land. He hoped for reunion with his beloved father. But for two full years, he sat in that dark, dank horrible dungeon of a place and nobody came for him nobody he was in the oubliette forgotten and yet as the narrative unfolds you'll not find the slightest trace of bitterness in him nothing i come Because, friends, Joseph never pinned his hopes or the fulfillment of his divinely given dream upon the actions of men, but upon the promises of God. You see, disillusionment only comes to people who put their trust in other people. And people will always let you down. People will always let you down. I don't care who they are. It could be your spouse. Your spouse at some point will let you down. It could be your pastor. Your pastor will let you down. Your mother will let you down. Your father will let you down. Your children will let you down. Your colleagues will let you down. Your best friend will let you down. People being people will always let you down. And so if you put your trust in people, you're really heading for a disappointment. Joseph knew this full well. He knew that it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And sadly, those to whom we show kindness as he did soon forget our kindnesses. And also true in our experience that those to whom we show kindness not always not only forget your kindnesses, but they are all too quick to recall your shortcomings. You see, someone put it this way, our grudges are etched in marble and our kindness is written in water. You know, I bet I wouldn't have to scratch too hard with any one of us for you to recall somebody, somewhere, sometime who did you wrong. And you'll remember that till your dying day. Even though people have done you multiple kindnesses throughout your life, most of those kindnesses are forgotten. But if somebody does you wrong, you mark their card and you remember them for the rest of your days. That unhappily is the nature of man. If you do me good, I may forget it. If you do me injury, I will never forget it. So here in this little chapter... We learn some of life's most valuable lessons. First of all, we learn that no one comes into our lives by accident. That every friend, every brother, every acquaintance comes our way for a reason. Either for our good or for their good. Secondly, we learn the importance of waiting on God. When God shuts the door, no man can open it, and when he opens it, no man can shut it. Therefore, we must rest in his sovereign decisions, in his oversight of our lives, trusting him every step of the way. God's way is the best way. God's timing is the best time. And God's grace is always sufficient even in the prison experiences of our lives. Thirdly, all of us have to give up our trust in men. We have to accept that we live as a sinner in a race of sinners and that people will let us down just as we also will let others down. The closer we live to that reality, the happier we will be, the less judgmental, we will be. The less expectant of others, we will be. And we will go on trusting and believing in the Lord and realizing that if you trust in the nature of man, disappointment is always going to be the end result. And finally, we must never allow our circumstances to condition our relationship to God. When times are tough, We go on believing and trusting. We must walk ever closer with the Lord. There are lessons here and examples that are set before us in Joseph's life. May the Lord give each one of us the grace to be more like a Joseph. We'll leave it there for this this morning and pick up, Lord willing, chapter 41 next time.